0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontanel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. If you got a chance to a glance at the markets at any all today, you do know we saw for the most part some higher numbers in our grain complex, mixed on the oil, mixed on the wheat uh, to lower on those complexes. But on the flip side, the livestock. Not so pretty. Only the milk was a positive one. We saw some negativity all across the, the cattle and the hogs. Lots of things that we're looking at kind of factoring into what has caused for a downward trade. We're going to talk a little price action going into next week. We do have that big report coming out of the drought monitor. What was the latest numbers that came out on Thursday? How much orange and red are we now seeing on the screen? Crop tour is underway. We'll talk crop loss. We'll talk a lot of different factors included in that. As Mike Zuzalo joins us, he's with Global Commodity Analytics. And So let's talk some price action. We've got a big report looming next week. Are we already positioning ourselves?
1: You know, I don't think so, Susan. I think we're actually maybe taking that uh, USDA report as well as the weather and maybe putting it back on the back burner. I I think the headlines in the market this week are what's really being the major driver to the price action, and I think that's from a standpoint that we heard that corn and beans were firm on stronger demand. That was a Newswire headline. Um, Yesterday we heard global demand pressures corn and wheat. And And so we can kind of get an idea that it seems to me that the the COVID spike, both here and in Chinese areas, a key areas, of China's agriculture production uh, in in uh, livestock production areas, I think these are issues that the trade's trying to price in this week, and maybe we'll swing back around um, and, and bring in the more pressing question about supply and weather-related declines. Uh, in the crops here the last 30 days that I think we're seeing. Maybe we put that off until next week. A week from today, actually, is when we'll know at this point what USDA is thinking. I, one last thing on this point. China is saying that their latest COVID resurgence, uh, resurgence is more complicated, but it's controllable, and that was put out by the official Chinese news agency uh, on Wednesday. And I think between that and them retesting all 12 million of their Wuhan population that probably did not go over well with the trade, whether you're trading stocks, whether you're trading bonds, or whether you're trading corn.
0: You look at that and, and the influence that China has had on the market and you add COVID, ASF, and everything else that's been going on, along with their appetite, they seem to have kind of a, I don't want to use the word control because that's not the right word to use, but just an effect instantaneously on our, on our market patterns when it comes to purchases.
1: Exactly, and they dominate. I think that's the word that I would use. Is they dominate commodities? They dominate the the equities because of the real economy that they are able to uh, generate. Because of their command economy, they're able to generate uh, a much quicker turnaround. Their, their costs are higher. Uh, they they need to make more money. They probably need to increase their liquidity into their economy more than than a capitalist economy like us but they can really step on the gas or step on the brake very very quickly and it seems to transfer pretty quickly into the market price action i was just reading before we went on air a a wall street journal article about container shipping prices and container shipping uh, prices for 40-foot containers made in china in china are now about four times the price or excuse me more than double the price they were 4 years ago back in late 2016 so even from a standpoint of shipping and containers uh you you have a, a very big dominating force uh, when it comes to China and I think that's why we have chosen the route we've taken in the price action this week so far. unfortunately, as we got into the middle part of the week and we saw Thursday's weekly export sales report, we were able to see an improving demand base. We were able to get those surprise sales uh, of unknown destinations of 300,000 tons of soybeans. Um, that didn't transfer into the closing market price, I think, because we saw another private forecaster come out with corn and bean yields uh, that on their crop tour, they they came out with like a fifty one point five bean yield nationally, that's way higher than I'm at. I'm at forty nine point eight, and I'm ready to knock that back down in about ten days. So I think getting over fifty bushels nationally is a real tough issue for me to to kind of digest at this point.
0: And since you're talking crop tours, we know that we'll have the the pro farmer and all those others that are happening. The spring wheat one was not very beneficial, um, at least when it came to yield numbers. So, but at least it gives you guys some preparation as you look into the market's going into harvest.
1: Yeah, and I think this is where uh, the reason part of the reason and I'm so glad you followed up with this because part of the reason I answered the question I did about what was driving prices and whether it was the report or not and why I chose to say not is because we just got the new drought numbers again this week and we still have 98% of Minnesota and South Dakota and 100%, <clears throat> excuse me, of North Dakota in drought. And compared to last year, we were at 8 to 24%, much like the spring weed and what you're talking about. I think we're getting too late for the corn, and we're getting, you know, another two weeks. Uh, I think we're going to be too late for the soybeans, and that's where the very poor, poor conditions really mean a lot more as we go forward. And so I think that when I see that the numbers that we got today, we, we went up one point in corn drought to 37 percent in the united states last year at this time this country was at 18 percent in corn country drought and that was trending lower we had peaked at that point in late july early august susan and we're seeing the exact opposite trend in corn and soybeans we were held steady this week at 31 percent in drought Last year at this time, we were at 14%, and we were falling. And I think some key states to look at is, and I believe this because of the anecdotal telephone conversations I'm getting from clients and pictures I'm getting from clients, Kansas went up six points this week in drought. Nebraska went up 11 points this week alone and is now standing at 31%. A year ago today, we were at 33% in Nebraska. And so we're not offsetting in some of these key states that we need to offset what's happening in the plain states.
0: We'll talk more about this drought and what it's going to mean as we move forward. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue with this Thursday edition of the Fontenelle Final Bell. We'll talk about global demand and what's going on with the crop loss. This crop loss really ties in with what Mike was just talking about when it comes to the drought monitor. So we'll dive more into that. Stick around. It's more coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue this conversation with Mike Zuzulo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. And before we left, we were talking about this drought monitor, Mike, and it just seems like it's August. We should be used to seeing more oranges popping up on these drought monitors. But this started for many folks back in June, and it's just continued to get worse and the crops continue to deteriorate.
1: Yeah, and you've got Iowa, which did see a two-point improvement in in their drought this week. It, it, they still have ten percent in extreme drought, and they still have thirty-four percent in severe drought. And you still have over uh, almost twenty-five percent in Minnesota and South Dakota just in extreme drought, Susan. And then when you get to North Dakota, whatever corn and beans they have, thirty-five percent is an extreme and, uh, and uh, then an exceptional drought of 9%. And so that's where it gets to where the very poor, poor conditions can really bring down the national yield. So cutting to the chase, I've got my soybean yield out there at 49.3. That puts me in a carryover of 143 million bushels. I think we have an August up um, upside potential of retesting that $14 area in November beans. Uh, even if USDA cuts back on some demand. And even if they put in a little bit more acres, which I think soybean acres could actually still go up some because we're running light somewhere, in my opinion. But for corn, it's a lot harder because in in 2017, which is where we're really tracking closely when it comes to the crop conditions and good to excellent, we did a 176.6 national corn yield. Now, keep in mind, USDA is is at uh, that 178.5. They're really up there. And, and yet in 2019, which seems to be kind of a model year, that as I see it, as I start to go out and look at fields that I looked at two weeks ago or have friends send me pictures that uh, we were in fields two weeks ago, um, I'm seeing Japanese beetles. I'm seeing um, a lot of nick problems. I'm seeing a lot of tip back. I'm seeing that typical issue that we see when we break 100 degrees like we have. And as you say, we're getting ready to go back into that type of mindset uh, in temperatures this upcoming weekend. And in 2019, we only did 167.5 on the corn. So I think we're going to have to get past the August report, look at the physical weather, and then kind of hunker down as hedgers and as marketers and say, okay, I believe that yield is lower than what USDA is saying if it's a bigger yield, Um, but I'm going to have to figure out a way to hedge it and buy some puts maybe. Uh, in case this market wants to break into the end of August. So that's kind of the mindset I have. I'm not going to go against the technicals. If I lose trend lines and I get sell signals on the stochastics and the oscillators, after I see USDA's numbers, I'm not going to fight City Hall, as they say. I'll go ahead and get some floors underneath me.
0: There is a lot more spray planes out there than we've seen in years past. And you were talking some crop loss concerns, and that's all going to tie back into what we see in these numbers.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, it could be a situation where the funds don't even care about that until we get to September or October. And that kind of goes to that uh, previous point. It's a very key point of what you just said. It's the timing of everything. And, And if we have a break in a trend line, it's not Common, and we saw this in the hogs today. I think Uh, we had a very, we have a very long uh, managed money fund community right now in the hogs. Second only to earlier this year, which that was the highest net long position since 2014. They just decided to jump, and they jumped even though we had good pork export sales. And when you get a trend line break or a moving average break or a sell signal on some of these charts, it's not uncommon to see like a 12 to 15% break in the price action. And At these price levels, that's worth going after, in my opinion, when it comes to corn, beans, and wheat.
0: I'm glad you brought it up as we look at the livestock side of the trade. They took it pretty hard again today.
1: They did, and in the fundamentals are in good balance. The pork cutout is still running at 123 That probably is before the close, but say it's at $123. Um, we were at $72 a year ago today, and so we've got a very strong cutout market. We, we know that pork has been doing well this summer at the retail, at the retail lot, uh, level. August hogs are at 109.52. They expire on the 17th of August, and then October takes over, and October's got a $22 discount to the August contract. So both from a standpoint of the, the inversion in the market and the fundamentals of the cutouts, We shouldn't have seen, after a good weekly export sales report today, a limit down break in the October contract. So I think this is fund-driven, and I just say to producers out there, just stay current in your marketings at these price levels and, and be very, very cautious about selling too aggressively if you get past the August contract.
0: Were you surprised by the lateness in the cash trade for the cattle this week?
1: I was. I think that we really need to pick it up in the cattle, especially since the, the grains seem to be coming back around, and we did get back up to that 124 level. You know, one of the things that cattle ranchers probably need to start looking at is that weekly and monthly fat cattle chart, Susan, because it looks like a brick wall of resistance above 125. You know, we've hit that, and that's, I think it's like a three-year level that has been very difficult to penetrate and get above more than maybe a week or so.
0: What is the best way, Mike, for folks to get a hold of you?
1: Best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com. Please sign up today or tomorrow. I'm going to take my three-week trial uh, off the board and uh, take it down to a one-week trial going into harvest here. And uh, that way, give everybody an opportunity to get signed up. But go to globalcomresearch.com.
0: That's the Fontenelle Final Bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss. Not suitable to all investors. Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all the local dealers on the Grow Radio Network.